Lance Daniel, and this is the SRQ House Church Podcast. The following teaching is part two in our Life Change series, where we explored what we can choose to change because of Jesus and the obstacles to our change. This teaching, we talk about what fear does to the change we desire. These are red pandas, and they're pretty interesting and cool creatures and they're found in the Himalayans. And red pandas, aside from them looking pretty cool and dope, they put their hands up when they feel provoked. This also acts as a defense mechanism in the presence of a predator or a threat. To be clear, red pandas try to appear to look bigger than they are. And they're only two feet tall when they do this. So it's still pretty underwhelming to show their anger and to hide their fears. Red pandas kind of sound a lot like us, right? These small little creatures get big and they get angry to hide their fears. You see, fear is one of the great motivators in life. Not just the animal life, the human life as well. Too much fear, I believe, gets us stuck. The fear of failure drives us to achieve and succeed but too much cripples us and tells us we're nothing more than our accomplishments. The fear of being alone pulls us to be in relationships and in community with one another, but when it goes too far, we find it hard to be by ourselves and to accept that fact. The fear of conflict draws us to seek harmony and peace with people, but that same fear can have us sweeping issues under the rug and even lack integrity in those same relationships. The list of fears go on and on and on. Fear has this unique ability to reduce us down to our lowest common denominator. It is one of the biggest and most consistent obstacles to being who God wants us to be. Our series continues in the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 8. Our series is Life Change. It's about the things we can choose to change because of Jesus and the obstacles to the change. Today, we will confront fear because the goal of our series is best said by two early church theologians, Irenaeus and Athanasius. They say this, Christ became what we are so that we can become what he is. That's the vision and that is the hope. Join me in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, and I'll read from my version. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, my version says this. He got up into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the wave swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. 
The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into these pigs, the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and ran and reported all of this, including what they had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. These two stories and episodes of Jesus' life is still fresh off of the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus' life is giving teeth to the teachings of the kingdom, this kingdom in which he is the king. Those with ears to hear have heard the kingdom message on the Sermon on the Mount. Now the crowds and disciples with eyes to see will see the kingdom through the wonder-working power of the king. What we've seen earlier in Matthew chapter 8 is through his healings, Jesus is bringing power to the powerless by healing Peter's mother-in-law, touching the untouchable by cleansing the leper, and bringing all of them, including the Roman centurion, from the margins of society to the center of the kingdom. And what's more, these episodes reveal what God is doing through Jesus. God's rule and reign is invading earth through the works, wonders, and words of Jesus. Everything we see Jesus doing is covering ground for the sake of the kingdom at the expenses of the forces of chaos, evil, and death. Whether it's on a boat or by the tombs of the Gadarenes, Jesus confronts forces at work in our world, yet fear runs through each of these stories. I saw a bumper sticker a couple weeks ago and it said, fear is a liar. And I feel quite the opposite. I think fear tells the truth. It tells the truth about the disciples here. It tells the truth about Jesus, tells the truth about the demons and the townspeople in the Gadarenes. And it tells the truth about you and me too. But more on that later. Let's hop into back into the passage in verse 23. Matthew chapter eight, verse 23 says this. Then he got into the boat, this is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, the, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Our story starts with the disciples following the leader. Jesus hops onto the boat. His followers are right behind him. Their plan is to get the, uh, to the other side of the lake into the region of the Gadarenes. And then out of nowhere, a storm swells up onto the sea. And for context, Jewish people or like me. They were not seafaring people. The seas for them was a symbol of wild, untamable chaos. And I don't know if they're as bad as me because I can't swim, but the storm is nothing they could have planned for. Nothing they could have prepared for. It just happens to them. It's their worst nightmare. Natural disasters like storms, earthquakes, and famines were not a part of God's plan in the beginning. When these events happen, they remind us that God's world, though good, is broken at the same time. A sudden storm with winds and the waves crashing against the boat is a picture of the power of chaos in the ancient world. They didn't completely understand meteorology or weather or how it worked like we do. They just experienced chaos. There are chaotic places and spaces in our lives, too. That just the thought of them gets us uncomfortable. Places you hesitate to go to, activities that quickly set you off, relationships that just seem all over the place. These people, places, and things outside of ourselves create chaos. 
these chaotic places and spaces in our lives, we can't always choose to get out of or even change. It just happens to us. So the question becomes, where are, where is the chaos in your life? Is it in your finances, your workplace with your job and supervisors, in the midst of your family or your marriage? Or maybe it's just your house with the constant upkeep and maintenance. The truth is, we very well may be the source of chaos for someone else's life. Like Taylor Swift says, and it's probably the first and last time I mentioned her in a sermon, but she says this, it's me, it's I, I'm the problem, it's me. We could be the source of chaos for someone else. Wherever chaotic places and spaces are in your life, they come with difficulty, pain, suffering, and most importantly, fear. For the disciples in this boat, in the midst of a sudden storm with winds and waves blowing and beating against the boat, chaos is literally in their face and all around them. What does Jesus do? WJD, I I skipped the second W. What is Jesus doing? It says that Jesus was sleeping. Right. Right. That's a totally appropriate response. I don't know if we're supposed to be encouraged or disturbed by Jesus sleeping on the boat. Y'all feel what I'm saying, right? Because some of us here feel like Jesus is sleeping on our chaotic situations and you don't hear from Jesus for a while. So you go searching to wake him for the sake of your kid. You wake him for the sake of overcoming your sin, your trauma and issues. You wake him for the sake of your sick family member or friend. And what's worse is some of us don't even think to go wake Jesus. Here's what I feel like I need to tell you. Even if you feel like Jesus is still sleeping on your chaos, he is still on your boat with you, meaning his power is still present and it's still near. Janine K. Brown says this, the terrifying power of chaos is promptly overcome when Jesus arises from sleep. That is something the disciples fail to completely believe And we hear their response in verse 25. This is what they say. The disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? What the disciples say here is only three Greek words. And it sounds like this. If it was translated straight out, Lord, save dying. Their posture is panic. The disciples are letting Jesus know that they are closer to their death than they are their salvation. But the sudden chaos from the violent storm outside of a boat not only covers the boat, but the chaos starts to cover the hearts of the disciples too. Chaos has a tendency to work from the outside in. And when chaos gets inside, it becomes fear. Jesus being aware of all of this after waking from his deep sleep, Jesus names their situation. You are so afraid. And he gives them a nickname in the process. He calls them little faiths. With with his words, he holds up two important realities, one next to the other, fear and faith. Do you see that? 
He does this because our fear is always relative to our faith. Y'all follow me? Our faith always works in relation to our fear. And you get the sense that Jesus is telling us and telling his disciples on the boat, there's not enough room in your heart for both of them. Either you have great faith and little fear or you have great fear and little faith. This is Jesus's frustration. Jesus's frustration towards the disciples here isn't because he's cranky because he got woken up from a nap. I believe it's because earlier in this very passage, Jesus and the disciples met an unlikely candidate for faith. And this man was a, a Roman centurion. He had great faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 and 10, this is the situation. The Roman centurion replies to Jesus after asking Jesus to heal him and Jesus responding quickly. The Roman centurion responds back to Jesus saying this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, this is verse 10, he was amazed and said to those following him, including his disciples, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. For this Roman centurion, a word was enough. A word was enough to heal his servant miles away. That is how much he believed in Jesus' power, trusted in Jesus' ability. His faith was that great. On the other hand, are the disciples who have enjoyed a front row seat to the healings and miracles of Jesus. They've gotten to see Jesus' healing touch, his powerful word that not only heals but casts out demons too. They have more than enough experiences with Jesus to believe his power. Yet in the moment of truth, they are defined more by their fear than their faith. So it's a good time as ever to ask, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of as you're listening? Is it not having enough? Losing control? Is it being wrong? Is it change? Because if we can get to the root of our fears, we can move forward in faith. And so a better question to say is, what are you protecting and what are you afraid of losing? Because for instance, if we're fearful of losing our resources, when we tend to overprotect those resources and that informs the way we move in the world, engage in politics and interact with people. Most importantly, interacting with people. Because the bottom line is living out of fear affects how we treat people. There's a human tendency to protect what we're afraid of losing at the expense of others and eventually treating people poorly. Too much fear has us seeing and sorting the world into two categories. And it's very simplistic, but this is what we do. We sort it into threats or non-threats. We see this in social media and in our news cycles. We get reactive and we get angry and we can manipulate people to, to secure specific outcomes. We can have an ends justifies the means type of relationship at work and at home. And at the end of the whole process, we rationalize the whole thing and say things like this. They hurt me. They hurt me first. She hurt me first. It's because they're liberals or they're conservatives. It's because they're a boomer or millennial. It's because they're being prideful and they don't listen to advice. We use these motives to drive what's actually driving us. Fear is driving us. Remember, fear tells the truth. And my encouragement for all of y'all 
is to check our fears first. Fear has the force to move us towards safety, and that is what we need. But when fear is overreactive in our life, it rules our hearts and keeps us captive to the chaos. Jesus sees all of this, what happens to the disciples on the boat and what happens in our hearts as a trust issue. And so he moves to deal with the issue of trust. And this is what he says in verse 23. This is what he says in verse 23. He replies, you have a little faith. Why are you so afraid? So he then got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were so amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. As quickly as the storm comes is as quickly as it goes. Chaos in this story comes from the outside in, and Jesus looks to deal with it from the inside out. He rebukes the chaos and fear in the hearts of his disciples first, and then rebukes the chaos out on the sea. And I'm compelled to believe that this process from Jesus is intentional. He deals with the inner chaos and fear so that we, along with his disciples, can actually see the great power over chaos that he has outside. Jesus could be at work all around us, but we can miss it because we cannot see past our fears. We are blind to what he is doing. Sight in scripture is always determined by the heart. So Jesus rebukes the heart, rebukes the fear in the heart as an act of building trust. We can trust him because he is more powerful than the chaos outside. He is more powerful than our fears inside. He is the one that fights for us. He is the one that provides for us. He is the one that protects us because he is the one that truly loves us. He loves us. So we can trust in him. Trust in him even more than we can trust in our fears. I believe this is what that story is all about. But Matthew wants to tell us more about Jesus in verse 28. This is what he says about Jesus or continues the story about Jesus. Verse 28, it says this, when he arrived to the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want from us? Son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large crowd of pigs was feeding. And we'll stop right there. Fresh off being tossed and turned in the boat, Jesus and his crew finally reached the other side of the lake in the land of the Gadarenes while two men approached them. This passage ends with a meeting and actually begins with a meeting. One meeting, a meeting, one in direct consequence of the other. First, Jesus encounters and meets two mysterious men. These two men live by the tombs and their closest neighbors are pigs and they are demon possessed. In the Jewish worldview, which Jesus had, these three things were sources of impurity and uncleanness. Tombs were unclean places. Pigs were unclean animals. Demons were unclean spirits. Unclean things as a whole were associated with the forces of death. And this is very important. Unclean, impure things were associated with the forces of death and the forces of evil as well. On the polar opposite side, 
holy things were associated with life and goodness. So these demon-possessed men are carrying death into their confrontation with Jesus. And it's a bit of a showdown. It's two versus one. On one side, you have one who embodies the Holy Spirit. On the other side, you have those who have unclean spirits. Jesus represents goodness and life-giving power that comes from God. The demons represent Satan and his death-dealing power. So these demon-possessed men who terrorize for a living are looking for more violence as they walk up to Jesus. Just like the stormy sea tells us all about the forces of chaos, these demon-possessed men tell us all about the forces of evil. Evil in our world is more than just the toxic and stupid things we do to each other. The scriptures tell us that there's a mysterious force at work in, through, and behind the toxic, stupid things we do to each other. And I'm not advocating for a devil-made-me-do-it type of mentality. I am saying that there's a real power at work here. And I believe these evil forces are trying to leverage fear. Fear in the townspeople in this passage and fear in our hearts as well. So our bodies, our families, our marriages, and especially at church, just like the region of the Gadarenes, these places and spaces are contested. It's where good faces off with evil. In the minds of the evil forces, these spaces are up for grabs. Your thoughts are up for grabs. Your friendships are up for grabs. Your finances and resources are up for grabs. Your desires are up for grabs. So my question is, are you aware of the forces at work in, through, and around you. We must acknowledge that because they are actually nothing to fear. They are nothing to fear. Here's what it says in verse 31. The demons beg Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. This is the third statement that the demons level against Jesus. Their first two questions are pretty aggressive and forceful. But with each of those questions, they get no answer, just a powerful silence from Jesus that eventually wears them down, right? The demons are now scared because they have met a higher power. They can sense the power emanating from Jesus. All of their questions are getting the same answer, truly the same answer, that this is the end for them. The demon's freedom is cut short. Time is up. The bad news for them, these demons in this passage, is great news for us. What happens to these demons puts the rest of spiritual evil, the powers and principalities, these forces on notice. Because when Jesus brings the kingdom, it marks the beginning of the end for the forces of evil, injustice, violence, dehumanization, all of these negative things that plague our world today will not go on forever Evil has an expiration date, and this is good news. This is why I love Jesus. He is somebody. He's not just somebody that gives us good ideas or a man offering a way of life. He is a man with power over everything in the physical realm on one hand and everything in the spiritual realm on the other. This is a Jesus we can trust every aspect of our lives with. What would our lives look like if we believed this story? We believe in a Jesus like this. What would our lives, our desires, and our vision for the future look like? I think it would look like what Paul says in Romans 16, verse 20. 
He says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You, me, we are snake or Satan crushers. And I bet you didn't think about that this morning as you were brushing your teeth. That you crush Satan under your feet. God uses us to do something so powerful and tremendous like this. Because if this is true, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. The good news in this passage, the good news for us today, isn't good news for everybody. It causes some disruption and some issues for the townspeople. Let's finish off the passage, starting in verse 32. My version says this, Then he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the herd of pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus wastes no words. He just needs one. With one word, he delivers the men from the powers of evil. And with that same word, he delivers the town. And the people across the whole region go out to meet Jesus and thank him for saving the men and bring stability back to their home. Nope. That's actually not what happened. They want nothing to do with their savior. That's what this passage says. Just as Jesus sends away the demons into the pigs, the town people send Jesus back to his boat. You see, if we desire Jesus's power, his powerful work is going to be messy. A herd of pigs stampede and drown in a lake. The herders run back to town. The whole town and region is in an uproar. It costs them their pigs. And I believe this all comes back to fear. Jesus' power disrupts the way of life that the town has. It disturbs the town. But at the same token, in the same token, it liberates and frees the region and freed the men that were possessed by these demons. But fear determines the way you see God's power, the way you see Jesus' power, whether you see it as disruptive and disturbing or as liberating and freeing. Fear tells the truth about them. That they want nothing to do with Jesus's power unless it's convenient, unless it works with what their way of life is. As long as Jesus's power doesn't cost us anything, we want Jesus's power. But if Jesus's power costs us some pigs, our way of life, our comfort, we want nothing to do with it because we fear losing things in the process. Because fear tells the truth about these people in the town. It tells the truth about the demons and the fear. And fear itself tells the truth about me too. Relationships for me come actually pretty easy. Being one of seven kids is something you learn early on in life. And a lot of y'all know my story. I've experienced a lot of loss. And since those moments, I found myself a little bit fearful in the back of my mind, a nagging fear of losing people. So when my friends recently moved out of the state over the past three, four years, I find it a bit harder to accept that fact of them moving and transitioning away and our friendships changing. And I, I try to overprotect and focus on those friendships. But I, I think the fear is blinding me to the relationships 
um, where I'm at here. Um, I feared losing things so much that I could not see the relationships around me, but I had to trust that God had the power to help me start over and build new rich relationships, even though it's hard. My fear of losing my friends have blinded me to the relationships right in front of me. And God is calling me to build relationships and his power has the ability to build relationships for me. Ultimately, these two stories stacked one over the other, the storm on the sea and the demons in the region, they tell us some important things about Jesus's power. Jesus's power frees us from fear so we can live the full lives he has for us. We must understand that. Jesus's power is to free us from fear, to live this life to the full, this flourishing life, the experience of life as it should be, not necessarily as it is. And so I want to close out with practicals to embody and internalize this message from the Gospel of Matthew. And the first practical is name your fear. Find someone you can trust and name your fear. Get your fears into the light so that God can start working. And the second is take note of the history of God's power in your life. Allow that time to be a time of reflection and also a time of building trust with God. Because when we see the story of God's power in our lives, we are more convinced that he will do it again and do it again and do it again. And we can trust that more than our fears. Ultimately, our fears are a limiting factor, but God's power overcomes every limitation that's in front of us in our lives and frees us to the full life that we should live if we trust him, if we trust him. Thank you.